again, want to thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here uh, on this, the Lord's Day. But I know a special day for many of you with your families, loved ones who, that you're here to support and encourage. And I pray that that would not just be something that we take lightly as a church, as individuals, as aunts, uncles, grandparents, brothers, sisters, all of, uh, that we would take this responsibility serious, that yes, it is the primary responsibility for their parents to train them into the knowledge of Christ Jesus, but also the partnership we have as um, a church and as family ones, extended family, uh, to encourage uh, our children uh, to faith in Christ. So again, thank you so much for being here. My name is Eric Hill. I'm the the pastor here. Uh, I moved uh, with my wife, and then we have three uh, children who are 12, almost 13, almost 10, uh, it's crazy how fast the time goes, um, and then our daughter just turned eight, uh, and so um, we're grateful. We moved here a little over a year and a half, about a year and a half ago, um, in 2021 in August, beginning, very beginning of August, and we're beginning the process of planting Redeemer Community Church, and so with a heart uh, to see the lives of this community forever changed by the power of the gospel, and to live a life on mission uh, as the church, as the body of Christ, to see uh, God move in our lives and lead us to, in support of other missions and upper opportunities to plant more churches uh, and to reach more people with the gospel. So again, thank you and for your families uh, being here today. If you have a Bible, just, um, we'll be here just briefly because it's just about three words, uh, but uh, if you have a Bible, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, and then if you are there, then we're also going to go to the book of Luke, which is one of the gospels. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and John are the four Gospels, and so Luke is what we're going to look at in Luke 11. But again, if you have a Bible, First Thessalonians, towards the back uh, of your Bible, uh, right before you get to Timothy, Second Timothy for Titus, and Hebrews. So if you've gotten there, you've gone a little too far. So First Thessalonians 5 and verse um, 17 it says very simply, Paul, as he's giving his final instructions to the Thessalonian church, a church that... Um, struggled, had gone through some difficulty, challenges, and he was encouraging them as well and pointing them to their hope in Christ alone. He gives some final instructions, and in his final instructions, he gives just these three words, but I think there are three important words for us as a church. And if we want to grow, as we're talking about how do we grow, you know, in 2023, wanting to grow spiritually, uh, Nate mentioned from Luke 2, and, and the growth that Christ, he grew in wisdom and stature uh, in favor with God and with man. He's growing. Even Jesus, the Son of God, comes. He doesn't need to grow spiritually because he's fully God, uh, but as he grew in wisdom, because he took on humanity, as he's learning and as he's watching even his dad as a carpenter, learning how to, to cut and form wood and to make furniture maybe, of different things, he grew in these ways and he was learning from his father as his father uh, on earth, his earthly father, was investing in him. But Jesus, being the Son of God, also made a point to pray. Actually, when we're, we're studying the book of Mark together consistently, we've paused for this series to begin the, the new year. But even as we read the stories of Mark, we find Jesus often getting away. He's ministering, he's doing all these things, but he's getting away to do something. He's doing something very important to his task, and it was to pray to the Father. And so, as the challenge here, as Paul gives, he gives these three words. He says these, it's a command to the church, and I think it's to the church collective to abroad, not just this church, but to our church and to all of Christ's church globally, is to pray 
without ceasing. Two weeks ago, I, I know some of you are not football fans. I understand you're like the Georgia fan once or twice a year maybe or something, uh, but you could care less because you're like the Falcons always stink or when they get to the Super Bowl, they blow it, kind of like uh, last night happened uh, for a, a team that used to be in San Diego that's now in, in uh, Los Angeles, the Chargers. Some of you might have gone to bed thinking they're going to win. They were up 27 to nothing at halftime. Nope. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars came back, fought back, and won. Uh, that game. But I, I, I watch football somewhat. <laughs> My wife would argue it's a little more than somewhat. Um, but uh, two weeks ago on a Monday night, I wasn't actually watching the game. So there you go. See, I, I don't always watch football. Uh, but it was a Monday night football game. It was actually a big one. I'd completely forgotten. It was Cincinnati versus the Buffalo Bills. Two teams fighting for the, the number one seed in the AFC as they begin the playoffs. And two, two, two weeks ago, about nine o'clock at night, uh, on a seemingly random normal play, um, this guy named DeMar Hamlin went to make a tackle on uh, a guy who had just caught a pass, and as he tackled him, for some reason, hit him right in the chest somehow, like, seemed kind of normal. You see some of those things often, but right after that, he collapses, and you could see, as I watched, because I, I did record the game, so I did see it, so then I rewound and didn't know I watched it, um, but you could see quickly there was concern immediately for his safety and his welfare. So immediately, you see all of a sudden the, the, the medical staff and team come to his aid, and, and quickly the broadcast is trying to figure out what to do. And so for about 30 minutes, he's on the field, and for about nine consistent minutes, they're working uh, feverishly with CPR on him because he had gone into a cardiac arrest and had also had stopped breathing. And so quickly, you know, again, the other pastime of mine is Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, happened to be on Twitter, of course, and quickly became, what became trending on Twitter was prayers for Damar. Um, quickly, every, uh, over the, overnight, as we were still wondering and waiting at what has happened, and this was all, all kind of caught on TV, and it was tragic for many. Uh, I know a lot of people, though, die every single day. And so it's, but here in this moment, all these people were watching, and it caught the attention of, obviously, this large broadcast of people watching, and so all of a sudden, people are saying prayers for Damar. We're praying. I mean, you're hearing uh, people saying, I will pray for this man, and they're hoping in a miracle and that this person would come back to life, that he, he is, looks like as if this is not going to go well, and no reports were coming out that things were progressing overnight and even into all of Monday. Uh, and I was checking in and seeing, but every single NFL team had changed their profile picture on Twitter to prayer, praying for Damar, or prayers for Damar with the number three, his number on it. It's interesting, isn't it, that in times of crisis and struggle, even people who don't trust in Jesus, don't follow Jesus, would put out messages of like, please pray for this person. Or when you're going through a really hard time in your life, you're saying, God, will you, will you help? Will you come to my aid? When you go on a trip and you're getting on a plane and you're anxious about a flight and is this plane going to land and take off and everything's going to go great, you're probably sitting in your seat, potentially praying for safety, protection. Uh, we pray, and it, it, what's interesting, I would argue, is almost all people who've ever lived to some degree have probably prayed. They might not know who they're praying to or what they're praying to. 
Uh, in the Muslim world, if you ever visit the Middle East, you will hear very loudly over loudspeakers, if there's a mosque somewhere nearby, the call to prayer. And you'll hear the, the incantation and the praying and the consistent prayers of these this people. Jews have a, the, the, a, a literally a, the wailing wall, a wall where they would gather and go and they would pray. When they go to the temple, they will pray. People will pray. Josh Allen, who is the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, grew up knowing about Jesus. I was reading an article, I uh, actually just came across this one this morning, and uh, this article was from Sports Spectrum. It's a Christian perspective on sports, and they interviewed different ones who have made professions of faith, and it was interesting hearing his quotes and his, um, his uh, media availability the week of him, uh, this whole happen- all this happening with DeMar Hamlin. And he was saying it was something in them as a team and collectively that led them to not know what to do but to pray. And he, he's like, I knew the Lord, and I, I know I've not really followed him the way I should have, but something with this event, it kind of stirred in his heart a change and a, a reorienting of your life because you, when you realize life is very fragile, it leads you to view life differently. You're like, mm, I can't put my hope in my, 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 my life and my health, my hope, my health and my life can go quickly away. And so it leads us to desperation. But what I would argue is, I would probably say almost every single, not almost all of us, because I, I feel like confident I can say this, are probably not praying literally, if we took this literally and said praying without ceasing. Even if you were to try to take this to the most literal statement to pray at all times, like to be always praying, that would be quite difficult because it'd be difficult to have a conversation with someone and also be praying. You're like, hold on a second, I'm praying. And then you're like, wait, keep holding on, keep holding on, keep holding because I can't stop praying because I'm worried I'm going to stop my break of what Paul said to pray without ceasing. Of course, it's so pro- I mean, most likely, obviously, this is not what Paul is meaning when he says pray without ceasing. Also, it's not just uh, uh, have these ritual prayers or these liturgical prayers that you just have recited and memorized, like the Lord's Prayer. And so, like some religious groups do, they pray these same prayers over and over again, very very, um, methodic and mechanical, if you will. I don't believe that is what Paul is communicating when he says, pray without ceasing. So what does Paul mean when he says pray without ceasing? And if we're the church and if we're a follower of Jesus, how are we to accomplish this command and follow it? I believe and I would argue that Paul, you know, he's not meaning that we literally never stop praying. And he surely doesn't mean that followers of Jesus are to pray with vain repetitions because he warned against that in Matthew 6 which Jesus so plainly repudiated. He says, Man, like, don't be like those people who just pray these prayers and it becomes just these repetition of words and sayings and different things. It's not that either. I appreciate what Mark Batterson explains and how he explains why God wants you to pray persistently, to keep asking, keep coming to him, keep searching. He says this uh, in his book, Circle, Maker. He says, God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. I want to just, I, I'm, there's more to this quote, but I want you to catch what he's saying here. He says this, God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. You see, 
Why would we, why, why should I pray if God, if I really believe God is sovereign, that he is all-powerful? How can I possibly change his mind? He's fully God, and if he's fully God and he has all power, why do I pray? If God knows my prayers before I even ask them, why pray at all? Why should I offer these requests to him? Why should I go to him if he is going to answer them? And maybe you have found yourself praying, maybe even persistently, and you're like, God just will not answer this prayer. But then sometimes... He answers a request when you didn't even pray it, right? Like, he gave you something that you were thinking about, but had never really taken it to him before. So it leads us to the question of why pray, and why should I pray? If he's telling me to pray without ceasing, first, I need to understand why should I even pray? And I believe that what Mark Batterson is saying is so evidently true in Scripture, is God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer, meaning this, that God uses in his sovereignty and wisdom, he uses my prayer, your prayers. Why should I pray for my kids? Why should I pray for my wife? Why should I pray for this church? Why should I pray for you? God can and will do what he wants to do, but God has also expressed himself in ways that he uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes. And that's what he's saying. He says this, simply put, God won't do it unless you pray for it. We have not because we, Scripture tells us, we ask not. The greatest tragedy in life, he says, he goes on to say, is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. So the question is like, why don't we? Why do we struggle? And so I want to turn, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Disciples of Jesus, they're watching Jesus. They're living with Jesus. They're eating with Jesus. They've given up their livelihoods to follow Jesus. They have left their nets, they've left their fishing gear, they've left their boats and their family to follow Jesus, and they're watching Jesus. They see Jesus get up early in the morning and go to the, to the Father in prayer. They observe Him do these things, and so in observing them, Him do these things, eventually they're like, can you teach us? Can you show us how to pray and how we're ought to pray? pray. So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 11, I want us to look at this. This is the abbreviated version, if you will, in Luke 11 uh, of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus also teaches on the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew. So this is a little bit the shorter version, but I want you to see, and we're just going to notice a few things. First, this morning, I want you to notice the pattern of prayer. How are we to pattern our own prayer lives? Jesus teaches us here the pattern of prayer. Notice what he says in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying. There he is. He's praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I've watched you and we've heard about John the Baptist, as he says here, as John taught his disciples. And notice what Jesus says. It's, a, it's probably a prayer that you've heard. Many football teams, many churches, many places recite this prayer. Um, it happens sometimes, it used to happen in schools and in other places where they would recite the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said this, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. I just pause there for a second. When we look at the pattern for prayer, I want you to see this right here. He says, Father. I think that shows us so much about prayer in just one word. 
It shows us about relationship. It shows us about connection. It shows us about a, a, a relationship with Almighty God. And here's the crazy thing. This is the crazy truth. The, the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the maker of all things, the sovereign Lord who holds all things together with the palm of his hands, says, I want you to talk to me. And so Jesus, in telling them, this is not, again, when he means, I would, I would argue this isn't really the Lord's prayer because, for one, Jesus doesn't need to ask for forgiveness of sins. So this isn't necessarily the Lord's prayer. This is a model prayer for the disciples. It's a model prayer for the church. And so here, as we look at this pattern for prayer, he says, Father. And then notice the next step. He says this, the Father. Pray, here's what he prays for. Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowing is revering, honoring. Here's the desire of disciples, and it's the desire of the follower of Jesus, should be that all people would honor and respect and glorify God as who He truly is. You know, part of the reason that we sing these songs to the Lord is to honor Him. We honor Him and we praise Him. And call to worship, as we call ourselves to worship God, we praise Him for who He is, and we recognize this how. We recognize this by doing what we've been saying the past two weeks. How do we honor God properly? We can know how to honor Him through His Word. He has revealed Himself because He has already spoken. I love Isaiah 6, as Isaiah 6 gives us a picture of the throne room, and Isaiah, this prophet of God, the Old Testament, years before Jesus would come. But here he has this vision. He has this vision of the throne room. And as he goes into the throne room, he sees the majesty and the glory. He sees angels proclaiming the holiness and the glory and the beauty of God. And, and he, he's led to worship and praise because he's seeing who God truly is. But you notice what it does to him. The view of God and who he is as he's hallowed, as he's worshiped, as he's praised and as he's glorified. What does that lead to? It should lead us to have a proper view of ourselves. You see, we see ourselves in light of perfection. We see our lives in, in, in view of holiness, and we see our unworthiness and our unholiness. And like Isaiah, we say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the glory of God. He sees who God is, and it leads him to see who he himself is. So when we think of pattering our prayer life, really it should start with praise and glory and honor for who God is, and that is guided by the Word of God. God's Word guides our prayers as we praise Him for who He is, as we read Colossians 1. And as we see the invisible God made visible in Christ Jesus, as we see the preeminence of Christ in all things and over all things, as we see His work in His hand, that should lead us to, that guides our prayer life to where we begin our prayers, like Jesus is modeling for the disciples, to hallow, to revere God's name. And as we do that, we align ourselves to God's heart. You see what happens next. Notice, He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. This one stings. Get ready. It stings in my heart. Most of my prayers are not his kingdom come. A lot of my prayers are my kingdom come. Aren't they? If we really listen to our prayers, in a lot of it, 
God, will you do this? God, will you do that? Will you help me with this? He does want to help you. Don't get me wrong. He wants to, you to bring his requests like a good, a good father wants his children to come at him with full access. He longs for you to address him. Yes, but it starts first hallowing, praising his name, and also saying, God, I want to align my life with your will. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. So it's aligning, and it's aligning your heart. It's preparing you for what you're going to confess and what you're going to ask and request. But it starts there. It starts in your own heart of aligning yourself, and we praise him for who he is and what he's done. But we often miss his kingdom comes. In Matthew, as you might have memorized before in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it starts there. His kingdom come. Oh, if we would just first seek his kingdom and not our own. And next, it shifts as we're looking at this really briefly as this pattern of prayer. Not only do we ask and we praise him, it starts with worship. It starts with adoration and hallowing his name and giving him glory and seeking his kingdom first. And next, it transitions to request. And the request is God to meet our daily needs. God, meet our needs. I know in America that's not an easy ask, actually, because most of us, we feel like, man, I can go to the grocery store and I can just... Maybe it's a little difficult to find eggs right now, I hear, or something, or they're going crazy or something, but for the most part, we can find eggs, or we can, we can get milk, or we can get bread and things that we need to sustain ourselves and to feed our families, and we quickly think that we're in control of our lives and that we can provide for ourselves and we don't need God's help, but let me tell you, one moment and your life could change. You could lose your job. You could lose your help. You could lose the opportunity to provide for your family. We need God, and so we go to him saying, God, will you provide for my day? Daily needs. Notice, not my daily wants, my daily needs. And notice what he says next. He says, and forgive us our sins. You see, proper worship of God leads us to confession of sin. It leads us, as we look into the holiness of who God is, as we approach him in his word, it leads us to confession of sin, to confess our sins before an almighty God, like Isaiah 6 was saying. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He sees himself as sinful, that he's not always speaking truth, that he's always kind, that he's not always doing things with the right motives, just like me, and probably just like you. And we need to confess our sins before God. And he says, and forgive us our sins. But notice this, this is important. We have to understand that we have been forgiven that God has forgiven, will forgive you by faith. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, He forgives your sins. He cancels your debt. You have no sin debt. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sin because Christ has already paid it. So by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not works, lest anyone should boast. And so we confess our sins. And not just, and, and yes, we are justified at one point in our, in our lives, when we respond to the gospel and put our faith in Jesus, we're forever forgiven. The salvation is set and secure. But as we live this life, we are sinful people and we still are prone to wonder, as the hymn, great hymn says. We're prone to wonder. And we do wonder. And so we're, there's a need to consistently and persistently pray and ask God to forgive us of our sins. But notice the next line, another difficult one. 
Yes, we can confess our sins and ask God to forgive us, but notice the next line, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Have you been wronged? Have you been hurt? Have you been mistreated? Have someone wronged you? Has someone stolen from you? Has someone done something evil against you? We're called to forgive because we have been forgiven. Now, I, I want to be careful here because like some of you have maybe been abused, literally, physically, emotionally. Yes, we're called to forgive, but I mean, there's still consequences for sin. It's not like, well, this person has literally done something evil against me that is against the law and should be put in prison, for instance. That doesn't mean, well, I forgive you, you don't have to be punished. No, we can still say, Lord, in your wisdom and justice, it's meaning I'm not going to withhold judgment against you. It's not my job to judge you and to punish you. It is the Lord's work. He is the author of life and death. He is the ultimate judge. I am releasing my hold on that by choosing to forgive and letting God deal with it. Now, is that incredibly hard? Absolutely. Some of the hardest things you'll probably ever do is actually forgive someone who's wronged you. But here this model prayer is telling us to forgive, confess our own sins, and also to forgive those who have sinned against us. And finally, he's another request. He says, lead us not into temptation. It's a prayer and it's a calling of God to protect us from temptation. Help us. We need him. The last song we sang right before this message this morning was, yet not I, but Christ in me. We need him. Scripture tells us Jesus, and he's talking about himself being the, as the vine and we're the branches. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Later on in there, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, we need to hear that in America because we do a lot on our own. And here he's, the call in the, is to, God, help me. I'm going to be faced with temptations this week. I'm going to be faced with trials, difficulties, struggles. I need your grace to help me to endure. And so we pray. And here Jesus gives this simple model prayer. Just briefly, I want to cover a couple more things and then we're going to be done this morning. One is the second is this, Jesus transitions as he teaches in this pattern of prayer, we see persistence. This is an important part of our prayer lives is persistence in prayer. We were seeing that in our First our Thessalonians 5 passage and we see it even here, persistent in prayer. Notice what he says really quickly. Verse five, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? And again, midnight for us may be like you've, all, you've not even gone to bed yet. I don't know if some of you, um, or maybe it's been an hour or two or something like that. But for these people, I mean, when it went dark, they go to bed and they wake up when it's light. And so the middle of the night is literally like, like picture the middle of the night. You're deep in sleep. In the middle of the night, he says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within the house. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Because, again, we don't get this in this culture. In this culture, they all would have slept probably together in one big room. And it's basically one big room for the whole house. And they're all on mats right near probably the front door. And this guy's banging on the door in the middle of the night. If he gets up, goes to the kitchen, does all these things, what's he going to do? You mama bears know what happens, right, when people start being too loud around your sleeping children. That's what happens, right? Like, shh, I, I don't eat, you know how many times I've been shushed in my life? A lot. I don't even know. 
I feel like, I mean, you know, if you're ever around and it's like getting towards nighttime, it's shh, shh, everyone be quiet. These children are sleeping. I'm like, have you been in their room? It's like a war zone with that sound machine. <laughs> Super loud. Like how, they, they cannot hear me right now, you know? But in this, they're in this one big room hanging out together, and they're all sleeping, and these children are sleeping. And this guy's banging on the door in the middle of the night. is, is a friend of his in the community. He's like, I need bread in the middle of the night. And this guy's like, uh-uh, I'm going to wake up my kids. Do you know how hard it is to get these kids to sleep? I was wrestling with it last night because our kids are on a different time zone. <laughs> and they were, not, they were tired at 5 and then not tired at 10 a couple of them, and it was like, man, because they, they've been in uh, Indonesia, literally the other side of the world, and visiting their cousins who are missionaries there, and uh, when they, they've come back, you know, it's like trying to adjust to the time zone, and last night was a little bit of a struggle for one of ours, and he's just, you know, I'm like, just, it's okay, like, like man, it's all good, you, you always, you know what happens? You always go to sleep, <laughs> and I'm like, it, it happens, it might happen a little bit later tonight, it might happen a little earlier tomorrow, but you will go to sleep, don't worry, and you know, he's stressing out, he's not gonna be able to sleep, and I'm like, it's like nine o'clock. You're going to be fine, <laughs> you know. Um, but here, this person is, is, they're all fast asleep. It's the middle of the night, and this guy's banging on the door, and he says this. Jesus, remember, Jesus is telling a story, and when he's telling a story, sometimes we need to understand what is, he, what is the application? What is he teaching us? It's not like every principle of this story is going to teach us about God's character, but it might teach us something about him or how he responds, and notice what he's telling us. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. Now, here's the question. If God is using this as a story, Jesus is telling the story, and he's saying, I want you to be like this person and keep banging on the door. Don't bother me. Do you think God is actually in heaven saying, don't bother me? No. That's not the lesson from this. Is like, just bother God, man. Just keep annoying him, and eventually he's going to be like, all right, fine, here, have what you need. No, but he's saying this, and this is the principle he's teaching. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Notice what Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. He's saying, I'm not, he's not even getting up to help him because like, man, because I mean, how many of you have been like, you get that text message from your friend needing something, you're like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Or am I the only, man, I, you guys just made me feel super guilty. <laughs> Y'all looked at me with such condensation, <laughs> condensation, con- condemnation, not condensation. Yeah. You look at that and you're like, oh man, yes, I would love to help you, you know. Not always just because you're a friend or you're like, man, I can't wait to make you some bread in the middle of the night and wake up all my kids. It'll be a blast. We'll have fun. <laughs> no, you, like there's times where we're like, oh. and here he's saying this person's not even getting up to help him because he's a friend with him. This is my friend. I want to help him. Of course I want to help him. No, he says, actually, here's why he helps him. Because he is his friend. No, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This is this unique word, but it's this unique word of because of his shamelessness. Like, I mean, it takes some pretty big boldness to go knocking on your door of your neighbor like, hey, you got some bread? It's, I know it's the middle of the night. I know I'm waking up your family, but can you bring me some bread? I need some bread right now. <laughs> like, that's pretty shameless knocking. It's pretty bold. It's a bold ask. It's shameless. It's persistent. Like, no, 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 I need, I need it. I, I can't put this shame on my own home by not having something for this guest that has surprised me with his arrival. He says, because he is his friend, no, not because of that, but yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
And here's what he goes on to say. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Whatever father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Like for you dads up here who stood up here, like... I watched my kid hold a snake a couple weeks ago, in, or a week ago, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what have you done while you're in Indonesia? Like, I would never touch a snake. I, I Only dead ones, and even with that, it's going to be a shuffle, shovel from about four feet away. <laughs> like, I'm not going to touch a snake. No way. But if my son is like, man, I, I, Dad, I, I would really, really like some, some, some food. I need a meal. And I'm like, sure, here, here's a snake. Like, wh- why would I give him that if he asked that of me? No, a father is only going to give and answer a request that is for their benefit. Think about this when it comes to prayer. Some of you have prayed something persistently for a long time, and it does not make sense that God has not answered this prayer, because it's like, why would he not answer this prayer? I don't understand. I'm not asking it selfishly. I'm not asking to, to spend it, as James warns, on my own passions. I'm not, I'm not asking for more money and things so I can be more comfortable. Maybe you're asking for, for healing or um, a, a restor- restoration of marriage or maybe for the salvation of a loved one. And you're praying this over and over again. And you're like, God, why won't you answer this? I'm persistent. I'm still knocking. I haven't stopped knocking, God. Why haven't you answered? There's several resources that have helped me in my life of, of prayer. And I'm still fall short, incredibly short in praying. But Tim Keller wrote a a, a book on prayer, and in it, I think he helps us so much with understanding this, because I think this is probably a big struggle for most of us in this room. You're like, I have prayed persistently for things. I would argue most of us have struggled with the persistence part. We might have prayed once or twice, but usually we're not persistent. And I think we need to heed the warning here, like, man, keep, keep knocking, keep praying. Paul did that. Paul prayed and kept knocking. He kept knocking God to remove a thorn in his flesh, some, some maybe an ailment, some sickness. Maybe it was a person. We don't know. People of theologians have guessed on what this problem and struggle was for Paul. But he prayed and prayed and prayed. And eventually the Lord said, okay, fine. You've been persistent. I'm going to send an angel to you. I'm going I'm I'm to let someone tell you, like, look, I'm allowing this to happen in your life. Pretty much like stop asking. <laughs> you don't need to ask anymore. So he gives up on asking because he understood God was doing something through that suffering. Tim Keller's quote, he says this, God will either give us, and you can write this down, I think this is so incredibly good for us, it's short, so you can probably keep up with this one, God will either give us what we ask, God will either, because he says he longs to give to his children, he longs to give us good things, like a father who is not going to, what good father is not going to give good gifts to his own children? A good father, yeah, some bad fathers won't, they'll take. It's pathetic, and it's sad, and it's miserable, and it's a terrible reflection on the Father, God, our Father. But here, God will either give us what we ask, Keller says, or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. That's the problem. We're disconnected. We don't know what he knows, and that's okay. So we go to him because we don't know, and we ask, and we keep asking. God will make it clear by either answering no, and you don't understand why, and you can, you can struggle with that, and I get it. I've wrestled with that right now. My wife and I, something we pray consistently, and many of you, we've asked many of you to pray for. 
is for our daughter. We pray that she would be healed, that God would remove the, the, the post-traumatic stress and the PTSD from her, her life and, the, and the, the pain and the suffering of being in an orphanage for three and a half years of her life and the effects of that on her life. And we're like, God, will you bring healing? Will you restore her? And we persist in that prayer. We pray it often. And many times we struggle with, with God, why? I don't understand. You say you love orphans and you tell us to love orphans and you tell us to care for them. Why won't you heal? I have to remind myself of phrases like this. If I only knew what God knew, he would answer it in the way that I would expect. But I don't know God and God's using her or using suffering in your life or challenge or death even and potential. Different things, all these different things. He's working all these things in his sovereign wisdom. He is perfect in holiness. He's perfect in wisdom. And I know you can go, man, I don't know about this because I don't see any possible good out of this. Here's the reminder. Ultimately, it takes faith and trusting that God does know and he always knows what's best. And so we trust him alone. See, God longs to hear from you. He wants relationship with you. He longs to hear from you. Know that he has the ability to give you what you ask. Listen, when you pray, the power of God is unleashed through prayer. God's power is unleashed through prayer. When you pray, God uses the prayer of a righteous person. It avails much as the King James even says, availeth much. It, it has power. It has effect. The power of God is unleashed through our prayers. And I want to quickly give you, I mean, the model prayer is here. Another is mentioned many times. It's called Acts. When you put this into practice in your prayer life, Acts, it's an acrostic here. Adoration is the A. Adore Him, honor Him. Hallowed be His name. T, the, in this, or the C is confess. Let the adoration of God lead you to confession. Confess your request to God. Let the next step in your prayers lead you to thanksgiving as you've been forgiven, as you experience the fresh and anew, the forgiving grace of God as you confess your sins. Let that lead you to thanksgiving. And then finally, of Acts, it leads you to supplication and to, and to asking of the Lord, to go to Him, asking Him like going to your Father. Two pr quick practical things for you, and I want to encourage you in this way. Some of you are like, I don't know, I mean, I know kind of how to pray, but man, I just, I just, I want to, and I just don't, it doesn't happen. For whatever reason, I'm not persistent, in it, and it's not consistent. I want to encourage you with a few things. One is this. Maybe start with just five minutes in the morning, five minutes around lunchtime, and five minutes before bed. Five minutes goes by actually pretty quickly if you have a list. So if you just write down a few things, hey, I'm praying, pray, pray for your spouse, pray for your children by name, pray a specific thing for each of them. Pray for their salvation for you pa parents who are up here, praying for their salvation. Uh, I remember, uh, we're running out of time here, but I remember at, at um, our wedding, the night before our wedding, my wife and I, so 16 years ago or so, um, 15 and a half, whatever it is, Amanda would remind me, it's whatever the math is, 2007, July 7th, 2007, so you were wondering if I'd not remember the anniversary. I know the anniversary, <laughs> 777, just how many years, not sure, didn't say math was my best thing, so. But I remember the night before, um, and we were even praying before the service um, this morning, and here I, I was, had to step out for a second and then went back in and could hear, caught my uh, father-in-law praying as well. And it reminded me of his prayer that he had said in his speech, he was given like a father of the bride speech right before our, um, the night before our wedding at the rehearsal. And he, he had said how he had been praying um, 
daily for me. He didn't know who I was, obviously. He didn't know where I was growing up, the life choices I was making, but he was praying that God would bring his daughter, um, a husband, a godly husband, who would love the Lord. And he prayed and he answered those prayers. And it was neat to hear him say how he had been praying as a family. They had been praying over and over again. And I encourage you, families, different ones, to be praying earnestly for your children, for their faith in Christ, for their love for God, that the trials and the temptations of this world would not lead them astray. So commit just to five minutes. And like, look, you can even set a timer and say like, all right, I'm going to pray these many, and whatever you get through in your list, you can stop, come back to it later. Like, don't be, you don't have to be super legalistic on this, but just use reminders and notes to help you keep up with requests, uh, people and things you are praying for. I want to encourage you, let's this year be a praying people and a praying church. So I want to encourage you, so we started this just a few weeks ago, I hadn't really announced it, so um, but I want to encourage you, so at like 9.45, whoever is willing and able, I know many of you have kids and different things that are going on and, on and serving in different areas potentially, but from 9.45 to about 10 o'clock, uh, we just gather as a group, as many people as want. Um, your children can come too, it doesn't matter to me, but just to spend some time praying and asking God to bring blessing to our service, to pray for our service, to pray for God to work in and through our lives. So I want to encourage you, be a praying uh, people.